Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, how many are familiar with the principle of sowing and reaping? Maybe you've heard phrases like, you're going to get what's coming to you. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Or what goes around comes around, right? What goes around comes around. Or, you know, your actions have consequences. Uh, Whether you realize it or not, the principle of sowing and reaping is actually found in the Bible in Galatians uh, chapter 6. Paul writes this in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It's It's a principle in the Bible, the principle of sowing and reaping. And like all principles, the principle of sowing and reaping can either work for you or against you. In other words, from a, from a way in which it oftentimes will work against you, you commit a crime, you, you commit a felony, you, you commit something like, like that, what happens? The result is either a fine or jail time, right? You reap what you sow. You, you, you end up getting what's coming to you. Or, you know, on the positive side, if I work hard and I study and, and I really put in the effort and I'm, I, I, I'm studying to show myself approved, as the Bible says, I'm, 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 I want to get good grades, I've got to study for that. So I study. The, the benefit of studying is that, that, hey, I ought to get do well on the exam or get good grades. It's kind of a cause and effect principle. It's something that, is, that, is, that we see all around us. It's a principle we see in the Bible at work in both the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament, and kind of like gravity, the law of sowing and reaping has some some pretty uh, typical uh, components that we see in life, which is good because I don't know about you, but I'd hate to get to the end of retirement and uh, find out that a penny saved is really a penny lost, right? So while the principles of sowing and reaping, they're operational within the world and established by God, if you have lived for any length of time, you know that there are exceptions to that, Right? You know, sometimes there are exceptions to that. Uh, like me, you've probably seen some people who are very hardworking and, and uh, people who do any, everything that's in to do everything right. They try to save. They try to do everything financially right. And then circumstances happen. Something comes in that happens beyond their control. And what happens? They lose everything. And you go, well, that's not fair, right? That's not right. They, they sowed. They, they should have reaped. What, what happened to that? Or you see somebody that has taken good care of their health. They have tried to eat well. They've tried to work out and exercise and do what's right. But all of a sudden, they get diagnosed with an illness that becomes terminal. And you say, hold on a minute. That doesn't seem right. What happened to the principles of sowing and reaping? And then on the, on the other side, you've seen another exception at work where you see people who are dishonest or, or, or don't seem to say, and yet they seem to prosper. And you say, well, why are the wicked prospering? Why does this happen? We're sowing and reaping in that. Or you see somebody that didn't take care of themselves and they ate whatever they wanted to and they didn't exercise and, they didn't, and yet they don't seem to get sick at all. How does that happen? How does that happen, Right? Well, you know, when we look at the principle, oftentimes the principle of sowing and reaping is at work, but the exception principle sometimes comes in as well. And when we see that rather than getting what people uh, deserve as a result of sin, instead they receive love and mercy 
And the exception that we're talking about is a term that we've been talking about here, and we started last week that we're going to talk about today, and that is grace. Grace. There is an exception called grace, the grace exception. And just as sin sometimes results in bad things happening to good people, grace creates the possibility of good things happening to undeserving people. Anybody been a recipient of God's grace? Yeah, amen, come on. Yeah. In fact, the very presence of God means that sometimes we don't get the consequences we deserve. In fact, Andy Stanley put it this way, grace is the vehicle God uses on occasion to ensure that we get precisely what we don't deserve. Right? We get precisely what we don't deserve. Last week, we defined grace, and we said that grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness of God. Kindness in favor of God. Amen? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul said it this way, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Unearned, unmerited, perhaps today there is no story in the Bible that illustrates this better than two characters within the Old Testament. I got to be honest with you, this week I was going to go a different direction for my sermon. I came across this story in the Old Testament, I came across these characters in the Old Testament, and it was there that I saw an amazing kind of scandalous grace, the scandal of grace. I, I found myself wrestling with why this one individual in this story had received grace. And so we see it in their lives. So I want to just share with you that story. And it, it highlights mainly two brothers, but there were actually 12 that were involved. And the two brothers we're going to look at a little bit today is Joseph in the Old Testament, not, not the, the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus, but Joseph in the Old Testament, coat of many colors, Joseph. How many remember that, Joseph? And one out of his 12 brothers by the name of Judah. Judah. We're going to take a look at those two characters today. Again, they come from the family of Jacob. They're the great-grandsons of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. This is Jacob, whose name was later turned to Israel. He had 12 sons. This is his family. He had 12 sons from four, well, two wives and two concubines. Yeah, it's that messed up. If you think you got a messed up family, you ought to take a look at Jacob's family. Jacob's family was pretty messed up. Jacob's family was pretty messed up. In fact, he wanted to marry one of his wives, Rachel, and his father-in-law tricked him, and he ended up marrying her older sister, Leah, who he did not even want to marry, and then he ended up marrying Rachel, and how many of you know sister conflicts can take place like that when they're fighting over the same man, right? All right, you think the Bible is boring. It's not PG. We're going to find out. The Bible is not PG. There are some stories we don't teach in kids' ministry. We're going to talk about one of them today, <laughs> all right? But, but then there was this competition about who could, you know, because when you, when you had children, when you had boys in particular, man, that was a, that was a status thing. Certainly Leah would be loved because she kept having sons and Judah was one of Leah's sons. But, but instead, instead, uh, Jacob continued to favor Rachel. And so then Rachel had a son by the name of Joseph. And man, uh, Jacob really loved uh, Rachel's son, Joseph, really loved Rachel's son, Joseph. Man, that, he, was, he became the prized son son there, and, and uh, you remember, he got special treatment. He didn't have to do the difficult chores. He got the multi-coat of many colors that, that every time he would walk near his brothers and they would see that coat, they would see, man, he's the favored one. 
He's the favored one. And how many of you know, Joseph's not necessarily a bad guy, but when you're young and you're getting all that attention and favor, you start to get a little full of yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so he doesn't always use wisdom. And so he's used as a little tattletale. He sees his brothers doing something they shouldn't be doing. He spies them. He goes and reports back to daddy. Hey, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Ah, 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 bad, bad, bad. They get in trouble. So they start to despise him. On top of that, God gives him a dream about what his future would be, a dream that shows in two different dreams where his brothers are bowing down to him and in one dream his father is going to bow down to him and rather than just keep it to himself or just tell his dad he decides to tell everybody what's happening and that just does not go over well with his brothers who already see the favor that his father has and, the, and, and if you know anything about the Old Testament particularly with Jacob you know that, that in Jacob's mind when, when Jacob was, was with his father Isaac his, his older brother Esau they were twins but his older brother Esau was going to get the birthright and the blessing and Jacob so wanted it that he took advantage of his older brother for the birthright and then ended up stealing his blessing. And so you can know that this is something passed down that's really important. So these guys, they, their brothers, they're saying, wait a minute, Reuben ought to be the one who's the firstborn, but I think it's going to go to Joseph. I think Joseph's going to get it. He's the firstborn of Rachel. That's who my father favors. So there was a lot of jealousy that was going on. And one day, the boys are all out, and uh, they take the sheep out to Shechem and north of Galilee, and they travel a little ways away. And so uh, Jacob says to Joseph, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers. And as he makes his way there, they've got a plot where they're going to kill him. They say, oh, here he comes. This is our opportunity. Let's get rid of this dreamer. We're going to kill him. All right? So you can just see the tension is building. The brothers don't like him. And, uh, and, and this is what it says in Genesis 37, starting in verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. How many of you love to have brothers like that? Right? I mean, they just, so, so what they do, they grab him and they throw him in the cistern and they're getting ready to kill him. And Reuben, the older brother, goes, no, 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 let's not do this. Come on. Come on, guys. Don't do this. Don't kill him. Let, let's not kill him. Just put him in this cistern. And, and he had a mind. He was going to come back and save him. But in the meantime, while he's there and the, the situation is there, some Ishmaelite traders start to come by. They're coming from Egypt. They go back and forth. And uh, one of the brothers has an idea. Hey let's not kill him let's sell him let's sell him you know who that brother was judah look at verse 26 judah said to his brothers what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood come let's sell him to the ishmaelites and not lay hands on him after all he's our brother our own flesh and blood and his brothers agreed now what looks like judah looks like mercy doesn't it Hey, Joseph, we're not going to kill you anymore. Don't worry, we won't kill you. We'll just sell you. Ah, mercy, right? That's not bad. I, I'm not, at least I said I'm not going to kill him. His blood isn't going to be on, on our hands. We won't kill him. We'll just sell him. And then uh, for 20 shekels of silver, they sell Joseph. What great brothers. The older brother, Reuben, returns. He's distraught. What are you guys doing? How are we going to explain this for our father? What are we going to do? And so then, if it wasn't bad enough that they sold their brother and they wanted to kill him, now they've got this plot, uh, and, and they're going to figure out how to cover it up. So starting in verse 31, it says, Then they got Joseph's robe, and they slaughtered a goat and dipped the, the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father, and they said, We found this. And look what happens. 
We found this, the ornate robe. We, we, we found this, examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. And, and he, this is meaning Jacob, Jacob recognized it, their father recognized it, and he said, it's my son's robe. And then he comes to this conclusion. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And guess what? Nobody says, uh, no, that's not really what happened. They didn't really tell the lie. They just allowed their father to believe the lie. They didn't really tell the lie. They just kind of developed this little plot to kind of, you know, make it seem like, eh, you know, we're not that. We'll just, we'll do it and let dad come to his own conclusion. He never has to know. And so they had divided this scheme and they wanted to kill him. Instead, they sold him. And now they have this, this, this problem. They have this hidden problem, this hidden thing that they've done that they've got to all keep a secret. Anybody ever like secrets? They got a secret they got to keep. But one of the things that they didn't recognize here about this, they didn't realize how bad this would hurt their dad. See, long after the the, the money was spent, the memory would remain. Long after the money was spent, long after the the act was done, long after the thing that they did that they thought was going to make life better, long after that is gone, the memory remains and the guilt remains and, 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 and things start to happen. And I'm looking at the process of sowing and reaping and I say, Judah and your brothers, you guys are deceitful. What's wrong with you guys? Where is the consequences to this coming? Where's sowing and reaping? And, and you see Joseph, Joseph gets taken into slavery and, and he's into Egypt while Judah and his brothers get to give this plot and kind of go on with their lives. And they get to live as if they're honorable. They get to maintain their innocence before their dad, their innocence before their community, their innocence before their father. Meanwhile, they're covering up and hiding a secret. Let me ask you a question. Are you hiding anything today? Is there something that you've done that you're hiding that you hope nobody finds out? Something hidden in your life, some things that maybe you've done that you're just, you want to keep down. You want to maintain a public persona. You want to maintain something that looks good on the outside to everybody else. Meanwhile, there's something that you've been hiding on the inside. See, that was the case. And when we go to the next chapter in Genesis chapter 38, we don't find the story of Joseph continuing. No, it skips to chapter 39 before we pick up what happened to Joseph. Instead, it continues with one of these brothers, one of these remaining brothers, and the story picks up with Judah, with Judah. And we see what happens with Judah. You see, Judah is just trying to to go on uh, with his life. He has this plot. He's covered it up. Dad's really distraught. You know what? The home is kind of uncomfortable because we got this secret. and Dad's really upset and we did it, but we can't say we did it. And so it's just getting too much for us at home. So now we got to run. Now we got to hide. Now we got to get away. And so he moves down the road. He moves several miles away and he marries the Canaanite woman and together they have a family. I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to try to forget this ever happened. I'm just going to try to move on. You know what I'm talking about? You did something. You're hiding, but I'm just going to move on. See, that's what happened with Judah. He's just kind of moving on. And they have three boys, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And when Ur grew up, Judah arranged a marriage to a woman named Tamar for his son Ur. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Because Judah was away from the Lord, because Judah went away from the Lord, he wasn't raising his kids to follow the Lord. And look what happens in Genesis 38, 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. There's a sowing and reaping. And he leaves his young widow. 
So he's got this young widow, and you have to understand that in those days, women, didn't, they couldn't work, they couldn't earn a living, they were very vulnerable, particularly as a young widow. So they had this tradition, and they had this thing that was called a Leverite marriage. And we see it later on, if you read through the book of Ruth, you see the Leverite marriage at work in, in the book of Ruth. And what it means is, is that somebody who's a close relative, particularly if you had a brother would come, they would marry the widow and they would have children with the widow that would then carry on their brother's name. They would have a child with the widow to carry on their brother's name. So this was a part of what they would do. But the, and so what happens is Ur's brother Onan is given in marriage and look what happens. He's a wicked man, all right? I'm, you can read what he did all on your own. We're not going to read that part. That is, that is rated R right there. We're not going to read that. But look what happens. Verse 10. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. So now Judah has lost two sons, and he's got the youngest son, and he's got the widow Tamar, and he's supposed to give his younger son in marriage to Tamar, but instead of, of, of taking a look at what's happening, he says, oh, I don't think I want to do that, because if I do that, my youngest son might die. And I don't want to lose three sons. And so again, he begins to show who he is because he hasn't really changed. He is a deceiver. He is a manipulator. And so he comes up with this kind of idea so that he can keep up his personal persona because in the community, if he doesn't honor this and doesn't do the responsible thing, then nobody's going to trust him in business. Nobody's going to be able to trust him. So he's got to be, he will be labeled irresponsible. He got to keep up the public persona and keep the things hidden. So look what happens. Judah had a reputation to keep. And so in surveying the situation, here's the loophole. Verse 11, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up, for he thought he may die too, just like his brother. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. Here's the thing. He wanted to delay the process of what he should have done. He's looking for a way to delay it in hopes that you go to daddy's house, daddy will take care of you, and everybody around here over time is going to forget about this and we can just move on. He had no intention of keeping his promise. And we know that later on. We know that because of what happens later on. As he moves on, as time moves on, Tamar remains in her father's house, but Sheila grows up, but the promise is not kept. The, 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 the sin just continues to compound because that's what happens with sin. When we hide sin, when we don't deal with sin, when we have things that we hide and things that we, we kind of want to shove down and just kind of go on with life as normal, you can't go on with life as normal. It affects every other relationship because it's who you are. It will not change. That's what's going on. Eventually the years pass and he grows up and, 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 and he doesn't fulfill the obligation to Tamar, now I'm going to warn you, this is where the story gets a little creepy. Okay, this is where it gets a little creepy. There was a custom each spring where the wealthy men of the town, they leave their homes and they go for the shearing of the sheep that would happen in the spring. And there would be alcohol and there would be celebration of wine and those kind of things. And they would celebrate what was going on. And at that time, there were also business transactions. And if somebody was called into debt, usually at that time you were happy enough and good. You could really do some business and maybe get somebody to be agreeable on something that they normally wouldn't be. And so as they went to that town to do this, it was the same town where Tamar lived. And one of the, 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 the people in the town said, hey, you're father-in-law's coming. Now's the time for you to deal with this. And so what she ends up doing is she takes off her widow's clothes 
and, uh, and she puts a veil over her face and she goes to the gate where, where there's, there, there should be some, some business interaction, transaction. Maybe she'd have the opportunity to be able to confront him. He hasn't given his, his youngest son in marriage like he's supposed to do. He hasn't fulfilled his obligation or his promise like he said. Maybe this would be the time. But she knows better than that. She knows that, that who Judah is. She knows that he's a conniver, that he's a deceiver, that he's somebody you can't trust his word. And so instead of, of doing that, look what she does. Genesis 38, 15. When Judah saw her, she stand at the gate, took off her widow's clothes. When he saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she covered her face. And not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. And she says this, what will you give me to sleep with you? And he said, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, well, will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? Because she says, you know what, I don't trust this guy. This guy hasn't fulfilled any promise he's ever done. I don't trust this guy. You have to know also that, that Judah's wife had passed away in the, in the meantime as well. So he comes in, and, and, and again, God does not honor this, by the way. This is not okay. Scripture says it's sexual immorality, all right? Just because it's in the Scripture, it's not, it's not prescriptive, all right? It's descriptive of what goes on when you're away from the Lord. Judah's away from the Lord, and away from the Lord, he does what people who are away from the Lord do. And he goes to seek to have his needs met by who he thinks is a prostitute, and it's, daughter, it's his daughter-in-law. And because he hasn't had any communication or been near, he doesn't even recognize her voice or who she is, even though she's hidden by a veil. He has no idea who she is. And, and she says, you got to give me a pledge, because I, you know, I don't trust you. And he doesn't know it's her, but I don't trust you. you got to give me a pledge. And she says to him, your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. And so he gave it to her, and he slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. And after she left, she took off her veil and put her widow's clothes on again. Man, what, a, what an awful story. Terrible, right? Just what, what, what has happened? The problem is Tamar knew that Judah was not a man of his word, and she was desperate. She was in a situation where she recognized, you know what? I'm not getting any younger, and he's not fulfilling his promise. And if my dad dies, then I'm going to be in a position of being very vulnerable. And she was desperate, and she was, she was a Canaanite. She, didn't, she wasn't somebody that honored God. Judah certainly wasn't somebody who was living for the Lord or living for Jehovah at, at that time. So this is what she did in order to try to say, ah, something's got to happen. And, the, and what she asked for, the seal and the security, is kind of like asking for, for your license and social security card. That's what's happening here. And so a few days later, Judah does in fact try to send a servant with a goat to make payment, but he can't find her. She's nowhere to be found. And so the servant asks, hey, what about the shrine prostitute? What about the temple prostitute that was here? And they said, we don't have one of those. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I, I tried to make payment. I don't want to come clean anymore. I mean, I, this is another one of those things that will just really make me look bad in the community. And I can't. This is embarrassing enough as it is. Just let it go. Just leave it alone. And guess what happens? Guess what happens? Here's what it says. Verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she's now pregnant. And look at Judah's response. Bring her out and have her burned to death. I am self-righteous. Look at me. She ought to be burned to death. You got to do something about her. She needs to face the consequences of what she has done. Right? What about him? She got to face the consequences of what is done. And that's what happens. When we, when we hide our own sin, 
we become very self-righteous at times. We become very judgmental and quick to judge. For Judah, this would have been the answer. He wouldn't have had to give his son in marriage because look at what she did. I can end it right now. We can get it done. Everything will be covered over. And nobody will know I never kept my promise. Nobody will know I never did what I said I was going to do, that I didn't keep my vow, right? Nobody will know. In fact, how righteous did he feel? Neighbors probably came and said, oh, you poor guy, your daughter-in-law. Can you believe what she did? Can you believe how she dishonored your family? Can you believe how she dishonored you? Oh, Judah, poor guy, right? But you know what? We know something, and Tamar knew something that the rest of the community didn't know. Verse 25, and she was brought out. As she was brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I'm pregnant by the man who owns these, she said, as she added. See if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And you know what she does? She waits until she's brought out because Judah has to be there. She waits until the community is there. They're dragging her out because she knows he's a manipulator. He can figure out some way to be able to, to manipulate this. And so she waits for that last possible moment. And then she says, whose are these? Anybody identify these? And look what happens. Genesis 38, 26, Judah recognized them and said, she's more righteous than I. Since I wouldn't give her my son, Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. He was forced to come clean. He had to face, he had to face the consequences. He had to face up to what he had done. He, he, had, he, had, he had to be confronted with it. And in and, and being confronted with it, he owns it. Shamed in front of the community. I'm the one who did it. I didn't keep my promise. She's the one who's more righteous than I. As strange as that might sound, friends, that's a picture of grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace confronts us in what we're trying to hide because God isn't going to leave us in our sin. But the only way for us to receive His grace, it begins when we are confronted with our sin. When what is hidden comes to light. When we come to that place where we must give an account. 1 John 1, 8 says this. This is what it says. This is what later on John wrote. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, do you see this? Grace is found when we're confronted with our sin and given the opportunity to repent. But if we do not if we do not repent, if we do not admit our sin, then we deceive ourselves. And Scripture says the truth is not in us. The truth is not in us. And, and, and although Judah had experienced a, a very simple moment of humiliation, a public humiliation, it led to a change inside of him. And we see it later on in Judah's life. We see what happened. We see the effects a little bit later on in Judah's life when he finally comes to the place where he can't hide. But the problem is, is there's another secret that he's keeping. There's another secret that he's keeping. And that secret has to do with his brother, Joseph. The secret has to do with he, what he and his brothers had done in, in selling and, and, and deceiving their father into thinking that Joseph had been killed by a lion or a, a wild animal along the way. 
And about 20 years had passed since Judah and his brothers had sold Joseph to the Ishmaelite traders. They had no idea what had happened to him. They didn't realize that if you pick it up in verse 39, you see that against opposition after opposition, God's hand was on Joseph until Joseph ended up as the prime minister of Egypt. And there's this big, huge food collection going on because they believe that a famine is coming and that's happening in Egypt and, and the brothers don't even know that. They don't know what's happened to Joseph. Judah doesn't know what's happened to Joseph, but something ends up happening and that is the famine starts to come. And when the famine comes, the famine begins to affect not only things happening in Egypt, but the famine also uh, affects Jacob and his sons. And so what do they do? They say, you know what? There's food in Egypt. We want you to go to Egypt. So he gathers up his brothers, and and, and Jacob gathers up his sons, and he sends them on to Egypt, but he won't send Benjamin because he's already lost his son Joseph, and he's already lost his wife Rachel. And he says, you know what? We're not taking Benjamin. Benjamin's going to stay here with me, but you got to go. And when they go, they don't recognize Joseph. They don't recognize him. They don't know who he is, and Joseph begins to test them. And, and he says to them, he begins to ask them questions because he knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And he begins to test them because he wants to know, are they mistreating Benjamin the way they've mistreated me? Have they changed at all? Is there, are there, is, is there anything different? I'm not going to give these scoundrels any, any food. I'm not, I got to know what's going on. And so he, he, they, they want this food, and he says, listen, you got to go back to your father, and I'm not going to give you any food until you bring your youngest brother, Benjamin, to me. And they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And, and, and they keep, he ends up taking their brother, Simeon. He locks him in prison, says, he'll be released when you guys come back. He's my insurance. You guys are going to come back. And he sends them back to their father. And look at their response in, in Genesis 42, starting in verse 21. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us, Reuben replied. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They very much believe in the law of sowing and reaping. And what they believe has happened to them with this famine and what they believe has happened with with Joseph who's not being nice to them and they don't recognize it. They say, this is because of what we did. We're giving an account. This is because of what we did. And they're carrying around guilt. And so every situation they see, they see through the eyes of the guilt they're carrying around, through the eyes of what they have hidden. Reuben says that we must give an accounting for his blood. You know, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Friends, do you recognize that one day we're going to give an account to God of our lives? Do you know that? We're going to give an account of, to God of our lives. We're going to give an account of God. We're going to stand before God and give an account and so, so what we see here is they, they've been hiding their sin for such a long time, but now they've got to return to the father. They've got to bring back their brother, Benjamin. And at first, this is a deal breaker. Jacob says, no way. Because now he says, I already lost, I, I, I lost Joseph. And now when you guys went, I lost Simeon. There is no way you're taking Benjamin back. And so there was a period of time in which Jacob would not listen. He would not send Benjamin with them. But the famine got so bad that he comes and he says, you got to go back to Egypt and get food for us or we're all going to die. And they said, we can't go back without Benjamin. And finally, look who steps up to persuade his father, Judah. Genesis 43. 
8 and 9. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. And then he says this, I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame for, with you for all my life. So you know what, you know what Judah's doing? Judah's saying, you know what, I'll take it on. Uh, you can blame me, but I'll make sure he comes back. I'm going to guarantee his safety. Now, friends, Judah has been a deceiver his whole life. Judah has lied, has not fulfilled his promise. What's to say he's going to fill his promise to Jacob? Nevertheless, Jacob trusts him anyway. And, and they return with Benjamin. And when they arrive, Joseph hosts an elaborate dinner for them and this, this wonderful dinner party. And then he has one last test for them before they leave. He loads up their donkeys with, with all of the, the grain and everything that they have and, and, and on their way, puts the money back in their sack, but he has a silver cup. He has a silver cup. And he puts the silver cup into the bag of Benjamin, his own silver cup, and he lets them leave. And they're probably thinking, boy, okay, we got through that. We got Simeon back now. We're all on our way back. Everything is hunky-dory. Everything's okay. We're, we're, we're doing just fine. And they don't make it much past the gate when all of a sudden uh, Joseph sends his, his, you know, his guards and everything and they hunt them down. They say, hey, who are you? Our master's been very good to you. Who are you? Why did you steal my, our master's silver cup? Why did you steal from him? And they say, we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. Check, check our bags. We didn't do any of it. Check our bags. And the one who is guilty, that's the one that, that, that'll be deserving death because they didn't believe anybody had anything. And they search through the bags and where is the silver cup found? With Benjamin. With Benjamin, oh no, what is this? How are we going to go back? What are we going to do now? And they plead, no, 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 don't, don't take Benjamin. Take us, don't take Benjamin. And they go, no, 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 only the one who is guilty. Only the one who's guilty. And they're brought back before Joseph. And while they're there in the presence of Joseph, Judah, Judah decides he's going to take Joseph aside and he's going to have a talk with him. And this is what he says in verse 32. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in the place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. In other words, I'll take his place. I'll take his place. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? I'll take his place. And Joseph, seeing a change, seeing a change is so overcome that he begins to wail. He begins to cry so much. He sends all of his servants, Egyptian servants out, but they can still hear him crying. And then he says this, verse, verse three of Genesis 45, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Now look at their response. Remember, they didn't recognize. They didn't know he was Joseph. You and I, we get this. We know who he's, who, that he is. But they don't get this. Here is a reckoning. This is an accounting. I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. And now I'm the one in charge. Remember my dreams when you all were going to bow down to me and you said that wouldn't happen? <laughs> I am Joseph. And look, this is where they're at. They're like, oh, but his brothers, not able to answer him, are still terrified in his presence. No doubt they're terrified. The reckoning has come. Sowing and reaping has come. They're about to get what they deserve. 
I know some of you already know this story, so it's already, it's already spoiled for you. But for those of you that don't know this story, instead of punishment, look at what Joseph says in verse 5. And now do not be distressed and do not carry anger, angry, or do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives. While they were consumed with their guilt, Joseph was consumed with grace. While they were consumed with guilt, Joseph was consumed with grace. He offered them forgiveness and he offered them far more. Because mercy is when we don't get what we deserve and grace is getting more, more than we deserve. And so what happens is he sends them back and says, bring my father back because you're going to live in the land of Goshen. In fact, this is the most fertile land in all of Egypt. And guess what? It's yours. Do they deserve that? No, it's grace, right? That's grace. The law, the law of sowing and reaping was thwarted by grace. Friends, it's grace. Judah never got what he deserved. There was an accounting. He should have gotten punished for what he did. He should have gotten punished for how he had to sell his brother. It was his time. I'll take Benjamin's place. I'm going to be the one that has to pay. I'll have to pay for the sin. But instead of paying for the sin, he received grace. That's scandalous. But the story doesn't stop there. In fact, this was what got me. This is what got me. This is what said, you got to tell the story of Judah because it doesn't stop there. Well, what happened? Well, you know that, that as they came, then Jacob got a little bit older. He was getting ready to die. And passing on the birthright and the family blessing was an important part of that. And so he's, he wants to bless his sons. And so he lines them up and they, they come in the room and he begins to line them up and he's, he's going to pronounce a blessing over each one of them. And Reuben, who's the firstborn, steps up. The firstborn of Leah, the firstborn out of all. He steps up. But instead of receiving the blessing, instead of receiving the birthright, instead, Reuben had slept with his father's concubine and he was ruled out. Sorry, Reuben. This is what you get. Next was Simeon. And Simeon and his brother Levi, their sister Dinah, had, had been raped, and, and they were upset with the guy who wanted them to marry her after the fact, and, and so they set up this whole thing with circumcision, and when they were, the town was at its, at its most, they went in and they, they killed everybody in the town. And, and so when they step up, uh, Jacob says, Simeon, you're a man of blood. This is what you did. Because you did this, you're out. And I can imagine Levi being ready to step up next, and Levi's like, mm, I know what I'm going to get. I was there with Simeon. We did that together. That's what Simeon got. That's what I got. Hey, Judah, you go next. Judah, you go next. And, and as Judah steps forward, I can imagine he's going, well, if that disqualified Reuben and that disqualified Simeon, what about me? I'm the one that, that suggested that we sell Joseph into slavery in the first place. I'm the one that didn't come clean for all of those years about, about the lie that we told our, our father. On top of that, I'm the one that didn't honor my promise to, to, to Tamar, and then I got in that whole mess, and all of that came out and everything. I mean, I, what am I going to get? And this is what Genesis 49, starting in verse 8, tells us that, Joseph, that Jacob pronounced over Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. 
Your father's sons will bow down to you. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of nations shall be his. What? Did you, did you get what was happening there? They're, they're a family, but they're going to be a nation. Did you, did you see what's happening there? They're a family. They're, one day they're going to be a nation. And, and who's going to be king? Who's going to be ruler of the nation? The descendants of Judah. Judah. Judah, the one who, 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 who sold his brother into slavery. Judah, the one who, who deceived his father and lied all those years. Judah, the one who, who didn't keep his promise and didn't protect his, his Tamar. Judah, the one who got into sexual immorality and, 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 went, and, 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 and got in with a prostitute. Judah! Why not Joseph? Look at everything Joseph did. Joseph earned it. Joseph deserved it. Joseph should have been the one who, who, who should have gotten that kind of blessing. Joseph should have been the one. But it's not Joseph. It's Judah. And I don't know about you, but that does something in me where I go, oh, what? That's not right, God. That's not fair. You know what that is? That's grace. He didn't just get what he didn't deserve. He got more. Grace. Because you know that from the line of Judah came the king by the name of David. Right? And David, David down his line had a king who would be the king of kings by the name of Jesus. That's grace. And you know what's even more scandalous? That the, the son of Judah that would become the great, 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 grandfather of Jesus is Perez, who is the son of Tamar. Tamar! Out of that whole mess that we read about, that whole icky, creepy, whatever story it is, out of that, God redeemed it. Out of that, God redeemed Judah because God is in the business of redeeming lives. And no matter what we've done and no matter how much we've had hidden, no matter what guilt we have, Jesus is able to redeem us. Jesus is able to forgive us by his grace. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But here's the deal. There's going to be an accounting to receive grace. You've got to come out of hiding. To receive grace, you've got to, you've got to confess what you're hiding. To receive grace, you've got, to, you've got to repent of your sin. To receive grace, when you stand to give an account, you've got to say, I'm not righteous, only you're righteous. I'm a sinner. You've got to come clean. Grace is available for you. Grace is available for you. But you've got to come clean. The amazing grace is available today. So friends, I just want to invite the worship team to come. You say, Pastor, I don't know about this. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know all the things I've done. Listen, where sin abounds, Scripture says, grace abounds all the more. Right? So you've got to stop hiding under the weight of guilt and shame, and you've got to come, and you've got to experience the amazing grace of God. And so I want to just ask us right now to bow our heads, to bow our heads, an intimate moment. If you're watching online, begin to pray with us right now. And, and I want to ask you,
Is there some, some, something that you are feeling guilty about? Is there sin that you have not confessed to Jesus Christ? Or are you living a double life? Like Judah was living a double life. He was looking good in front of everybody, but in, in underneath he had a, something he was hiding. Friends, one day we're going to give an account to God. But when you stand before God on judgment day, you will, you'll either come with your sin or you'll come with the grace of Jesus Christ. You'll either come and have to give an account for your sin or today you can receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ so that when you stand before God, He does not see your sin, but rather sees the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who takes your place. So if you need to receive His grace today, and today you need to repent of your sin, there's something you need to repent. You need to say, I need, I need forgiveness. I need His grace today. Will you slip up your hand? I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance today. I need to repent today. There are things in my life I need to repent today. I've got to get right with the Lord. Yeah, hallelujah. Come on, let's pray together. If you raise your hand, let's pray together. Will you just pray with me right now? Let's pray a prayer of confession. And ask the Lord Jesus to forgive us today. Dear Jesus, I thank you today for your amazing grace. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I just receive it today. I ask you today to forgive me of my sin. You know what that is. You go ahead and it's personal to you. You confess that sin to Jesus. This is what I've done. I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me today. Jesus, come into my life. I receive your grace and forgiveness. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.